This morning's reading is from uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. The parable of the bags of gold. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also, the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who'd received one bag went off dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things, I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who'd received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I, where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Jeffrey. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may we hear the words of your spirit to each one of us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I love the Gospels and Jesus' parables. This one in particular was recommended to me as I was leaving Ridley in June ahead of my ordination. I was ordained at St. Paul's on the 3rd of July, 
And at your ordination, you're given a copy of the New Testament as a sign of the authority that is being invested in you to preach the scriptures. And we were actually given these a few days um, ahead of the ordination. And as I'd you know, been given it, I was sort of having a quick look. It fell open on this parable, reminding me of, of my friend's recommendation. So I spent a, f- a bit of time on, on retreat. Um, there's a slide uh, for that. Um, I spent a bit of time in the parable, loved it, and um, thought it'd be a joy to share with you this morning. So it's quite a, um, a punchy parable, a shocking parable uh, in some ways. Um, and I think sometimes misunderstood. So we're going to look at it through the lens of three mistakes that are easy to make um, and three corresponding truths. The first mistake is that the master is harsh and cruel. The second is that the, servant, uh, the third servant acted wisely and was unfairly punished. The third is that the conclusion isn't very Christian. So I hope as we unpack this parable, uh, we'll have fun together, we'll come away encouraged and challenged. But before we dive in, a little audience participation, warm us all up, check you're with me. Um, and I appreciate you might not have uh, the passage open in front of you, so it's a bit of a memory test, but just go for it, shout out, and we'll, um, we'll, uh, we'll get through together. So first question, how many servants are there? Three. Well done. How many bags of gold is the second servant given? Two. Tentative answers from some. Quick maths, how many bags of gold in total? Eight. I heard some of you say that. Well done. Five, two, one. Tricky maths there. Um, according to the story, why did the man give his servants these bags of gold? He's going away. That's right. Well done, David. He was going away, so he entrusted his wealth to them. Where was he going? Far away, we don't know. We don't know where he's going. And how long is he going for? A long time. There you go. We don't know where he's going. He's going away for a long time. Back to the uh, sort of quick, simple answers. How many bags of gold did the first servant return? Ten, right? He, he grew, you know, developed five more. How many bags of gold did the second servant make? Two, doubled it. And the third servant? None, zero. He hid his bag in the ground. So final question, and again, a tricky one, not actually in the reading. Um, the introduction to the parable says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey. What, what will be like a man going on a journey? What's the parable all about? Yeah, so if we look at the start of the chapter, 25 verse 1, it reads, At that time the kingdom of heaven will be like. So we're given a parable there, the ten virgins. And then this parable builds on that parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven will be like. Great. Now we're all totally up to speed. This parable is about the kingdom of heaven, and in particular, what it will be like at that time, the time when Jesus returns. Fantastic. So the first mistake, the master is harsh and cruel. 
This view comes from the mouth of the first servant. We hear uh, him say, I know you're a hard man. We hear his character reference. And we recall that he was only given one bag of gold. And we think, yeah, maybe he's got a point. The master is harsh and cruel and unfair to give his servant one measly bag of gold. But that is a complete mistake. Hear me out. The master in this parable is not harsh and cruel. In fact, he's the total opposite. The master is generous and just. He's generous and just. Consider with me, he entrusts his wealth to these three servants. When was the last time that you sort of you know, took out your cash and sort of divided it up between three people? I mean, that's pretty trusting. I mean, how much you have is, depends whether you're generous perhaps or not. Um, but that's pretty trusting to, to give your, your wealth to be trusted like that. And look at the wealth. They're given bags of gold, as the parable has it. I think we lose sight of the fact that each of these bags is an extraordinary amount because they're given different amounts. But a bag of gold is a bag of gold. And a bit of rough maths suggests that just one bag would be the equivalent of about 400,000 pounds, which is quite a significant sum to be trusted with. So this master is generous and he's also just, he's fair. Did you see he gave to each servant according to their ability? He doesn't want to weigh them down with more than they can handle or leave them with too little. He knows his servants and he gives to them just the right amount. He's just as well as generous. Not all inequality is iniquity. It isn't wrong to give these different servants different amounts according to their ability. That's just wise. Of course, if it were done for other reasons, then that would be sinful. But not all inequality is iniquity. We're all equal, but we're not all the same. Some are good at one thing and others another. That's just the way we're made. We all have gifts to bring to the table, and working together we reflect the glory of God as a beautiful mosaic, each of us those little stones. We're not all the same, but God has generously and justly given to each one of us. Say you had three interns. You've seen their initial performance over the summer, and for the last couple of weeks you gave them an opportunity to excel while you're away. You give them all different responsibilities according to what you've seen so far. Okay, they're all interns, but they're not all the same intern. You want to give them opportunities to um, you know, show what they're capable of. So, you know, you're generous, you don't want them to be twiddling their thumbs, but you also don't want to give them too much. You don't want to overburden them. That would only crush them. Or take athletics. I um, don't know about you, I love to run. Saturday morning park run, 5K, I am in my element. Compare that with an Olympics final. If you were to take me, my sort of one bag of gold park run, and drop me in with the five bags of gold Olympic finalists, uh, the 100 metres, you know, alongside Elaine Thompson-Hera or Lamont Jacobs, then I'd just be exposed and humiliated. What, what I love to do and what I'm good at 
would, would all of a sudden be turned on its head and, uh, and I would just be ashamed. Likewise, if you took those incredible athletes to a park run, it would be more like a park walk. But for each of us to excel, we need opportunities that are just right for our ability. And the encouragement is that the master knows his servants. He knows their abilities and he tailors his wonderful generosity accordingly. And whether it's a park run or an Olympic final, there's nothing greater than seeing it done to the glory of God. I just love this. Here's what American hurdler Sydney McLaughlin posted on Instagram after setting a new world record in the women's 400 meter hurdles. Might be a bit small to read, but here's what she says. Let me start off by saying what an honor it is to be able to represent not only my country, but also the kingdom of God. What I have in Christ is far greater than what I have or don't have in life. I pray my journey may be a clear depiction of submission and obedience to God. His will is perfect, and he has prepared me for, for a moment such as this, that I may use the gifts he's given me to point all the attention back to him. Well, I tell you, that is an inspiration to me as I stand on the park run start line. So do you find yourself thinking that God is harsh or cruel? Remind yourself that even to the third servant, he gives a bag of gold. He's extremely generous. He's unnecessarily entrusted us with his wealth, life itself, friends, family, opportunities. All we have has come from his kind and generous hand. But do you find yourself wishing you had more? Well, we're each given according to our ability. Let's not look over our shoulders at, in envy at how much others have been given. And I say that to myself, it's hard living in this part of London. But instead, let's focus on what we have been given and put that to work so that we might have something to show Jesus when he returns. The master's looking for servants that he can trust to faithfully put his wealth to work. Let's be those servants. The second mistake is feeling sorry for the third servant. We want to assume the best of him, that he's acted with integrity and just been too scared to do anything more daring with his bag of gold. We perhaps surmise that he's just been prudent and conclude that the master is unfair and, um, and harsh in his response. After all, no investment is without risk. But that is utter tosh. The third servant has sealed his own fate. For one, burying money in the ground was a recognized means of preserving. But attempting to preserve the gold has guaranteed that there'd be precisely no increase, precisely nothing to show the master on his return. Burying the treasure wasn't without risks. Jesus tells a parable of a man who finds treasure in a field, buys the field and claims the treasure for his own. And thirdly, the master tells him what he should have done. You should have put it on, on deposit with the bankers and then at least I'd have had some interest. On balance, it seems the fault is with the, th the third servant. He had every opportunity to do something constructive with his one bag of gold, but made no effort. My dad used to give me pocket money before a party a dinner dance or a high school prom. He'd kindly give me a tenner and tell me to treat my friends. 
To my shame, the first few times I came home wielding that same £10 note. Could I tell him of how I'd blessed others as, my, as he'd intended? No, I could only hold it out and say, Dad, here's what belongs to you. And my point is it's tragic that the third servant does nothing with the wealth he's been entrusted with. Jesus is teaching that what God has entrusted us with is not simply to be preserved, but to be put to work, to be grown ahead of his return. There's a very clear, immediate application to the Pharisees. They've been entrusted with God's word, the law, but they were so intent on preserving it that they didn't do anything with it. They didn't let others near it or let it grow or multiply. But that applies to us more widely. God has entrusted us with his word, with the revelation and knowledge of his son, Jesus. Are we going to be like the Pharisees, so intent on preserving and maintaining the status quo that we're unwilling to get our hands dirty? Or are we going to put it to work and see the multiplication that God has for us and has for his kingdom? God delights in our efforts. He delights in our success. He's entrusted us with his wealth so that we might excel and make something of it. He's designed us in his image to be creative and to take initiative. And he's thrilled when we use that to honor him. The third mistake is that we think the conclusion isn't very Christian. It's a shocking conclusion, isn't it? It makes us sit up and listen. It grabs our attention. And that's the point. This parable comes after Jesus' teaching on the end times. No one knows when that time will come. So be ready, be alert. This is the third of three parables designed to warn us. They're uncomfortable and designed to make us listen to his teaching, to be prepared to settle up. Jesus teaches that faithful, wise, accountable, innovative, proactive servants are rewarded handsomely. Or another way of putting it, the kingdom rewards are for those who've worked for the kingdom, not for those with nothing to show. But I get to the end of the parable and I want to start over. I want to talk to, plead with that third servant. Don't you? To say to him his path doesn't end well. To put the bag of gold to work. Or even just to give it to the bankers. I want to encourage him that the master is generous, is good, is kind. Look, he's given you a bag of gold. And he's ready to delight in your success. I wonder if what offends us about this parable and its ending is not its conclusion, but the agency behind it. You see, if, uh, if the, the master sort of didn't return and things were just left to sort of continue, the first two servants would continue to grow in wealth and the third servant, he might even forget where he'd buried his treasure. And you know, that would, you know, there'd be nothing particularly shocking. It'd be a sad situation, but that's life. We all know the best way to keep a gift is to use it. If you have a gift for Sudoku, but you never do them, you're going to get rusty. If you have a gift for cooking and hospitality, but life takes over, that's going to get harder. 
or a gift for music? You fill in the blank. What have you been gifted? I'm sure for all of us, a few things will come to mind. Family, job, passions. And for all of us, there'll be some bags of gold that we've really put to work and seen growth. And perhaps others that we've left to one side. At the very least, we've all been gifted life and breath, the image of God and the spirit of God if we invite him in. I have a friend from uni. We were both interested in trading. And uh, he has, he went and did a master's kind of related to it, risk and finance, and has pursued a, um, a fascinating and rewarding career in the area. Whereas my interest, my amateur interest, has sort of dwindled slowly over time. And, uh, and the difference is rather stark. But that's just life, isn't it? If we invest in our gifts, if we pursue things, they grow. And if we don't, you know, other, things, other things take over. And it's the same with physical fitness. If we don't actively keep fit, we lose the fitness we had. That's life. We don't need a parable to understand that. So we're not offended by the outcome, but by the master's role in it. Perhaps we think it'd be more Christian if the servants were all told to share out their wealth, if the one with ten had to share with the one who had one. But instead, he calls them to account and richly rewards those who've put effort in and seen an increase and casts out the one with nothing to show. And if these were three employees today, that would be fair enough, wouldn't it? Those who show willing and responsible are rewarded with further responsibility and opportunity a bonus, a promotion. And those who use hashtag working from home to go off gallivanting and shirk their responsibility, well, they're eventually given the sack. They've sealed their own fate. This parable teaches that there are two types of people, the haves and the have-nots. But it can't be talking just about possessions because they all have some gold. So what does the third servant lack that the other two do have? Enthusiasm, joy, a willing heart, respect for the master, gratitude for his bag of gold and the opportunity that represents. He's none of those things. And consequently, the one bag of gold he does have is taken from him and given to the one with ten. It's tragic for him. His fate was avoidable, yet he chose it by doing nothing with what he'd been given. What have you been given? As we um, come into land, I want to ask, what do you make of the master? Which of the servants do you align with? Do you want to align with? Do you see God as generous and just? A God who delights in our success? Or do you see him as hard and callous and ready to pounce? This parable suggests that the God you encounter when it's time to settle up is up to you. We see vividly that God is only harsh to the lazy. He's generous to the faithful. He delights in their success. He longs to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. 
Put to work what has been entrusted to you, ready to bring the fruit of your labor to the Lord. Whether you're a banker or a barrister, a solicitor or a street cleaner, an officer or an OAP, use what you've been given, what's in your hands, like Sidney McLaughlin, to the glory of God. Ask yourself, if Jesus were me, what would he do with the career opportunities facing me or the gifts, time, relationships I have? Where and how would he invest? In this parable, 100% of those who try succeed and are rewarded for their efforts. So go for it. Invest in the kingdom. Make the most of the bags of gold he's given you. Put them to work today that we might all hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? Amen.